0: It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins.
1: The union forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah. Down with the traitor! up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, ciao.
0: This week's show is the best of. I'm lawyer Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. I also represent farming, industrial, and commercial landowners. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand slow county court cases. It has also been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances and I have served repeatedly as Superior Court Special Master. I have also represented both the Democratic Party and Republican candidates in court. On Slow County Public Policy and the Law, office holders, lawyers, and activists appear to inform you about government actions shaping your lives. It is a real privilege to talk with the presiding judge of the Superior Court. Craig Van Ruyen, about a subject that has recently been of critical interest to every Californian, indeed, every American, grand juries and trial juries. But first, let me give you a little background about Judge Van Ruyen. He actually got his degree in journalism at Andrews University. He got his J.D., that's Juris Doctorate for the Uninitiated, at UCLA And then he went to work for the DA's office in Riverside County. He got tired of that, and he went into civil litigation for about two years and realized that that was not as much fun as being a deputy district attorney. So he came to San Luis Obispo County, where he got a job in our local DA's office in 2007, in a short period of time. He was appointed judge in 2016, and I think this is the most telling thing about Judge Van Ruyen. He'd become a judge in 2016, and even though he had all that work to do, he went off and earned his master's in fine arts by 2017 at Pacific University. I want to welcome you to the show, Judge Van Ruyen. Thanks, Stu. It's a real pleasure to be here. Now, why did you go off and get a uh, master's in fine arts after you'd become a judge?
1: Well, it wasn't a career move. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. I've read books and written my entire life and uh, became really uh, interested in writing poetry. Had been doing that for a while on my own and then uh, decided to pursue it more seriously. And the program at Pacific University was a low residency, so it allowed me to work a day job and then uh, correspond with uh, with my professors. And I want
0: to tell listeners that the uh, first time I saw Judge Van Ruyen uh, give a talk to the San Luis Obispo Bar Association, he he did it with a poem, and uh, actually a good poem. <laughs> well, that's that's not what we're talking about today, but I. I just was taken by that the thing I think a lot of listeners are thinking about these days is indictments by grand juries uh, we've had a president who's been indi- a former president who has been indicted four times now in different jurisdictions uh, two federal jurisdictions one in Washington DC one in Florida um, we've got a Georgia indictment of a whole bunch of people, including the former president in Georgia. And we've learned a lot, I think, on television about how Georgia grand juries work, uh, which is a little different than California. And then uh, there, I guess there's a New York grand jury that's indicted the same individual. California indictments and grand juries work a little differently than both the federal and the federal. And the, uh, state systems we've been talking about, but one of my my favorite authors is Akhil Reed Amar on the Constitution. And uh, what he says is that grand juries uh, were an invention of the colonists after they broke away from England to put a check on prosecutors. So you could not, in the federal system, still can't, be charged with a crime until a grand jury has indicted you at least a felony. And then a judge will issue a a warrant and people go to trial. I I thought it would be good for us to have a talk about how grand juries in California work for people to understand this and uh, what the burdens are when when people uh, get called to a grand jury, how they get on there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the grand jury... We have a grand jury right here in San Luis Obispo County.
1: We do. Yeah, um, and uh, I'd be happy to talk about that. I think the grand jury is a, a very important part of of uh, of keeping government honest. I think uh, mm-hmm. it's sort of the, uh, would be the overarching theme. Um, we have regular folks who volunteer their time, um, so it's a very democratic process and it's a it's sort of a citizen watchguard of what's going on and um, you know in in San Luis Obispo county we use the grand jury in a couple of different ways sometimes people refer to the, the grand jury as a civil grand jury or a criminal grand jury I know the the law doesn't really make that distinction. But the way it works out in practice um, is we have folks who serve for a full year, the full fiscal year, um, to look into um, and sort of follow their nose wherever it goes in terms of uh, investigating corruption or looking at at various local government organizations to see uh, how they're doing. Um, If there are public officials who are doing bad things, then that grand jury is tasked with, uh, you know, investigating that as well. In addition, from time to time, um, the district attorney will ask uh, the presiding judge to impanel um, a second grand jury uh, to present evidence in a criminal case. And uh, those folks will make a decision about whether there's enough evidence to bring charges against somebody. um, And that's an indictment.
0: And and that uh, second grand jury would usually be just tasked with one specific case, uh, some big case probably.
1: That's correct. It's an alternative to uh, a separate process that the district attorney usually uses, and that is presenting evidence to a judge in a preliminary hearing to determine whether there's enough to go forward to trial. Uh, in some cases, um, this is a this is a different way to determine the state of the evidence. And, and uh, Judge Van Ruyen, just for our
0: listeners, I think the, that second alternative way, which is used more frequently, uh, certainly in this county, is uh, called the information, isn't it? So there's an information that essentially says here's a charge of criminal activity by... Joe Doakes or somebody or Jane Eyre. Uh, <laughs> I hope there's nobody named Jane Eyre out there. <laughs> anyway, uh, and, and so then the evidence has to be presented to a judge that there's uh, what uh, convincing evidence, probable cause, how, how much
1: evidence uh, has to be presented to the judge in that way. Probable cause, so that's uh, basically defined as uh, the judge has to determine whether there's a strong suspicion that the person um, who the complaint has been filed against committed a crime. And um, if the judge believes there is that strong suspicion and that the person in front of him or her uh, is the person who committed the crime, um, then uh, he would direct, or she would direct, the uh, district attorney to file the information that you've been talking about. Okay. Now, on the uh, when we take a look at the grand
0: jury process uh, for let's let's talk about the criminal path right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if the grand jury gets information that Joe Dokes has committed a crime, uh, they they would investigate
1: that and would, what would they do uh, in order to investigate that? So, the standing grand jury, the folks who are sworn in uh, by the presiding judge mm-hmm. um, the last of June and begin their office July 1 and serve for a full year, they, um, they like I said, decide what they want to look into. They're not allowed to, um, investigate a case that is pending in front of the court. So if criminal charges have already been filed, then that the grand jury can't decide to investigate that as well. Okay. Um, but they, most often the standing grand jury, um, is looking into the way that government functions. Um, and so usually they're not tasked with a, uh,
0: criminal investigation. Exactly right. But, um, you know, when I read the statutes, they could if they got a complaint from um, even a, a third party and if they were convinced there was a, enough evidence, they could start. But usually if, if they're tasked with that, it's because the district attorney or the attorney general will bring them evidence and say, you know, I want you to tell me whether there's probable cause here.
1: That's exactly right. In almost every case where uh, a, a- grand juries looking at criminal charges they are being presented the evidence by the uh, by the prosecutor either the da or the uh, attorney general they can on their own do further investigation either by issuing their own subpoenas or by asking the prosecutor to follow up on things but they they basically have a year
0: to do this and it, the, starting you said from june of each year
1: that's the fiscal year so, so the standing grand jury serves from July 1 to June 30. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, folks, I think a lot of
0: people have heard about grand juries. They just don't know how they're formed. Usually when somebody thinks of jury service, they think of the trial jury. Right. And they get a notice in the mail that says, uh, Stu Jenkins, you, you have to come down to court or you at least have to call in and see if we need you. And for a week, you call in, and many times you're not needed, and you never have to show up. But you're basically called at random off of the voter list and the the uh, driver's license list. But for a grand jury, it's it's
1: usually not a random selection, is it? Well, there are two ways that grand jurors get selected. So okay. for for the folks that serve for the full year, that's a volunteer. Um, uh, that's that's a volunteer position. So people who are interested, um, they put in applic- an application uh, between April and uh, the end of June. The judges of the Superior Court interview the people who are interested in serving on the grand jury and then make recommendations and then a drawing takes place if there are more people interested than there is space for. And uh, we seat um, a panel of 19 grand jurors, and then there are uh, 11 alternates. And then basically, they are given the charge of, you know, go do your work, and uh, if you need me, let me know. The other way that um, grand, a grand jury is impaneled is if uh, the prosecutor, either the district attorney or the attorney general, comes to the court and says, I have a case that I want to uh, present evidence to a grand jury on. And in that situation, um, we impanel another a separate grand jury that is impaneled just to hear that evidence on that case. So for a shorter period of time. And the way those folks are chosen is they are summoned through the same lists that we have for our trial um, jurors. Okay. and they'll come to court and then, uh, but, but there, is, there are fewer, um, it, it's a less rigorous process in terms of uh, choosing them. There's no attorneys involved, for instance, in asking them questions or trying to determine if they can be fair. Right. There are certain qualifications that the presiding judge goes through with them. And if, if they meet those, then the panel is sworn in. Can
0: you tell our listeners about what those
1: qualifications are? I can. Um, it, so it starts off with uh, you have to be a citizen of the, uh, of the United States. You have to have been a resident in the county for a year. And uh, I'm going to my list here. You have to not have a felony conviction, and you have to be able to function and communicate in English. Okay. Slow County Public Policy and the
0: Law, Saturday morning at 10 and Sunday afternoon at 3 for your weekly analysis of law and public policy with your host, Stu Jenkins, at FM 98.5. This week's show is the best of... And we're talking with uh, presiding Superior Court Judge Van Rooyen about grand juries. In a, in a criminal case, the, the jurors are asked about have they formed any opinions about uh, specific people or have they had uh, contact with potential defendants uh, or, or, you know, are they married to a police officer, that kind of thing. Um, are any of those questions the kinds of things that come up in selecting a, uh, a
1: special grand jury? No, actually not. Um, so there will be instructions that the district attorney reads to those folks um, when they uh, go to do their job. And if it becomes apparent that uh, they have conflicts, mm-hmm. then um, then alternates will be substituted in. Um but uh, that kind of, of questioning that we assume happens, for instance, for, on trial jur- juries, doesn't happen um, for the special grand jury. I noted
0: in some of the statutes about the grand jury uh, formation that, that uh, the first time uh, folks learn what they're going to be dealing with is when the foreman tells them. Um and so uh if somebody has a business relationship they're supposed to recuse themselves. Uh this this is in the ordinary grand jury as well. Right. Um and um and that's when one of these alternates would be selected to come in.
1: That's correct. And uh the other difference with with uh grand juries, uh the trial juries, at least in the criminal um, realm, is that uh, To issue an indictment, uh, in this county, 12 out of 19 grand jurors have to agree that an indictment should issue.
0: Which is analogous to the fact that uh, to convict 12, 12 people on a trial jury would have to decide there had been enough
1: evidence for that. True, except that you only have 12 jurors on the uh, trial jury. Right. So it has, it has to be, to be, be unanimous. It. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: and, and after all, the, the grand jury is not looking for proof beyond a reasonable doubt. They're looking to see if there's enough proof to go forward with a trial. Exactly right. The democratization, basically, of this process, you think about um, other bodies we have, uh, like State Assembly state senate uh congress they're apportioned uh is there an apportionment of the membership of the grand jury uh say by uh city or uh by uh supervisorial district uh when the court decides who's going to serve on it
1: there's not no we we, it's important obviously to get a cross-section Of the community on the grand jury, just like it is uh, for a trial jury, Mm -hmm. but um, we don't have quotas in terms of you know geographic areas or politics or anything like that. We really want to to try and cast the net broadly. And and the uh, you know
0: speaking of politics, there's an oath every member of a grand jury takes, uh, which is a uh, similar to the oath that a, a trial juror takes, but I, I think there's a lot of folks who will claim that a, a particular indictment here or there uh, will be politically motivated. The, there's no district attorney, there's no federal attorney who actually can can indict somebody. It's the grand jury itself. Uh, is there a component to selecting the jurors that has to do with a uh, political party or political? political preference or who they voted for
1: not at all um, yeah that's not questioned um, so we the 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 folks who serve uh, their their political party is is not important in the selection process um, we like I said we want to have people with various backgrounds with various political beliefs and uh, you know we want to have people who are going to be, to be willing to bring their common sense and their background and to have a vigorous discussion, but also to try and reach consensus. Okay. Um,
0: you were a district attorney. Did you ever participate in uh, grand jury proceedings to uh, you know, bring them
1: evidence? I did. I had one occasion where uh, I asked the presiding judge to convene a grand jury, and, um, it's, it's, it's very different, um, from your regular job as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were, you know, after we had the, the grand jury selected by the, the presiding judge, we went across the street into a, a room in the, uh, in the uh, county building. And, um, it was my responsibility to present all the evidence that I had to these folks uh, both exculpatory evidence and uh, evidence that would lead to an indictment um, because there was not the safeguard in that proceeding of a, a, a criminal defense attorney and, um, and their secret Proceedings, um, although a record is taken, so that if there are irregularities later, they can be uh, challenged.
0: So there's there's a court reporter in there who's uh, documenting everything in case uh, that's needed later uh, at the trial. Exactly. And that would ordinarily be disclosed to the defense attorneys if there's an indictment. Is that right?
1: Exactly right. So if there is an indictment, um, then. Uh, defense attorneys then are appointed or are retained by by clients who want them, and they receive the transcript of the grand jury proceedings. Okay.
0: What once the indictment is issued, uh, is that something the grand jurors uh, can talk about, or is that somebody anybody can question
1: them on? It is not uh, the the grand jurors. Um, take an oath of secrecy and so they uh they those proceedings are um are confidential and for good reason i mean if if the government has not met its burden um then and and an indictment is not returned then um it should not be common knowledge that the, they were being investigated that they were being investigated exactly okay. right
0: well we're coming up on a hard break judge stay tuned folks we're going to talk a little bit more about grand juries with judge van rooyen